Continue in our uh, continue on our study on why we need sovereign grace. This is our third installment of this, and uh, we've already looked at in the last two weeks. We've already seen that. That we don't have the mind of God and that we don't understand Him. Uh, we can't come to Him. We don't know Him. We don't uh, have the ability to uh, discern the things of God. Last week we seen that we cannot hear God's words unless we are His sheep. Uh, so without sovereign grace, without God's sovereign choosing, uh, then... Uh, uh, we would never have been given faith. We'd never been given spiritual ears to hear. And uh, today I want us to look at <clears throat> um, something that is talked about a lot as far as whether you are preaching a false gospel or whether you're preaching the true gospel. Everyone says somebody, you know, we have to be born again, and that's clear from Scripture. The Bible says that. I'm fixing to read it here in a minute, and everything. But how one is born again—that's where the breakdown comes. Um, a lot of people um, view being born again as something that you can do, that you can get born again. Uh, some people believe that there's certain formula that you have to do before you can be born again. Some conditions that must be met to be born again. Uh, even among sovereign gracers, they believe that being born again comes by uh, instrumental means, the preaching of the gospel. And so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning because, again, uh, one of the reasons we need sovereign grace is because... Um, we cannot uh, cause ourselves to be born again. And Jesus makes that emphatic uh, in that uh, we can never enter into the kingdom of God. We can never be a part of the kingdom of God, see the kingdom of God, unless we're born again. And so we've already talked about that once before. We That was in, I think, in our first message uh, and everything. But uh, I want to come to look at what it means about being born again and how one is born again today and, and see once again that without sovereign grace, the new birth never does happen. So uh, let's bow and have a word of prayer and then we'll read our verses here. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come once again to you humbled by your mercy, humbled by your grace, humbled by Christ Jesus and the substitute uh, and the work of the cross that he has done on our behalf. Father, we come to you this morning knowing that without you, without the Holy Spirit's work here today, that we cannot worship in spirit or in truth, which you require of your people, which you desire. The only worship that you accept is worship that is in spirit and in truth, worship that is led and uh, brought on by the Spirit, in the Spirit, and that revolves around the truth. Without the truth, there is no true worship. And so, Father, we pray today that the Spirit would come and not only help us inwardly to worship and lift up our praises and honor to you, but, Father, that the Spirit may also come and give us understanding of the truth, to give me ability to preach and to administer truth, declare truth today. Lord, and I pray that you would do that, that you would keep my lips from error. Lord, I pray for those who are listening, that you would give them uh, the unction to hear, the ability to understand spiritual things by your Spirit's power. Lord, we just uh, ask now that you would just glorify Christ in everything that we do, everything that we say. 
in the preaching of the gospel. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Alright, John chapter 3, and if you would look at, with me at uh, <clears throat> verse uh, 3, and remember here again, this is uh, Nicodemus has come to Jesus. Nicodemus was a uh, ruler of the Jews, uh, ruler among the Jews. He was a very influential man. He was a, uh, a Pharisee, a teacher, and uh, he came to Jesus and he was asking Jesus uh, some questions. Of course, we already know uh, leading up to this, especially in the book of John, we know that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, uh, had already seen that Jesus' activity, his life, his activity was already pointing to the fact that this is the Messiah that has been talked about for thousands of years. And... Um, but he didn't come the way that they thought he would come. And so, uh, because of their evil hearts and because of them wanting the preeminence, uh, you know, they were rejecting everything that Jesus did. But yet they knew this, man, this has every signs of being the Messiah. And so they sent Nicodemus, or Nicodemus came on behalf of the Pharisees to ask Jesus about who he is and about what he's been doing. And they knew that, they, they, that, you know, everything that you're doing, you can only do it if God's with you and things like this. And this is the context of this passage. And Jesus here is saying, you know, you guys are seeing all these things, hearing all these things, all these thoughts are going around in your mind. Am I the Messiah? Am I not the Messiah? You know, is this the, the, uh, the, uh, what you thought it was when me, with me coming and, and everything? And Jesus just, right off the bat, tells the guy, you're not going to be able to understand anything of the spiritual kingdom of God. You're not going to know anything about what I'm doing unless you're born again. It takes being born again first. Unless a man is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. They cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The spiritual things of God are still dead to them unless there is spiritual life there. And, and again, this goes back to this debate that I was talking about a minute ago about guys that are debating these things. Now, the Arminian, they say that, you know, we're born again uh, after we believe. That if we believe, then Jesus will cause us to be born again. So the new birth comes uh, after we repent and believe, okay, and accept Jesus into our heart. The sovereign grace person <clears throat> that rejects uh, Holy Spirit, immediate Holy Spirit quickening, uh, they will say that uh, we are born again through the preaching of the gospel. That the Holy Spirit uses the gospel as the instrument in quickening uh, the the child of grace, and so that it take that it requires. Mm -hmm. Knowledge. It requires the preaching of the gospel. It re requires all this stuff uh, to be born again. And again, the preaching of the gospel cannot permeate dead ears. Okay? Me preaching the gospel cannot permeate dead ears. The Holy Spirit is not using the word of God as a preach thing to waken up, quicken dead sinners. It is his voice that quickens the dead sinners. Him saying, Lazarus, come forth. Okay? It wasn't the preacher. If some preacher would have came out and said, Lazarus, come forth, he wouldn't have come up. The only one who can give life is Christ. We're going to see that <clears throat> again today, but look with me here at verse 3. It says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, except a man be born again, not get born again, but be born again, unless the state of that person is a state of new birth, being born again, being spiritually alive, okay? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. See, that's why we say we only... All the preaching of the gospel 
is preaching to the elect of God. It's declaring the things of the of God, and it's only for them because they're the only ones who can actually hear the spiritual message of the gospel. The truth of the gospel are those who have been given spiritual ears who have been born again. No man can see the kingdom of God, perceive, see, understand, receive. All these things are synonymous here. He cannot know the things of the spirit of, or the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a temporal kingdom. Everyone keeps talking about this kingdom that's going to happen. Uh, you know, Jesus is going to come back and rapture the church out and then uh, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, he's going to come, and then there's going to be this thousand-year reign. And during this thousand-year reign, he's going to set up that earthly kingdom that was promised to the Jews back in the Old Testament. And all of Israel will be brought together and saved, and they will be sitting on thrones with Jesus uh, on the Mount of Olives or wherever. The temple is going to be rebuilt, and he's going to rule and reign from there, and the Jews are going to rule with him over the nations. And there's going to be this glorious period of peace during this thousand years. And that during this time, you know, everything's going to be great. But that is not, that is not the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now it is in this world. I've mentioned that to y'all before. It is in this world. But it's not of this world. Just as Jesus said that we, as the elect of God, are not of this world, even though we're here in this world. Our life force, and I don't mean, uh, that's a bad word, and I don't want to use that because a lot of cultists use that word force. Our life uh, that is given to us, especially the the new birth particularly, that life that is put in us, in that new birth, it, it comes from heaven. It's from above. We are born from above. That life was hid in Christ with God. And it was Christ's life that was that's given to us. And that life that is given to us is not from this earth. It's from above. It's from, it's from God. Okay? And so while we are of this world, in this world, who we are as the people of God are, is not of this world. And so the same thing is being said of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom that Jesus is coming to set up, but it is a spiritual kingdom that he has with his people uh, as, uh, the, uh, uh, as the inhabitants of that kingdom. It's a spiritual thing. We experience the Spirit of God in power, and that is how we enter into the kingdom of God. We come into the kingdom of God by the work of the Spirit of God. We perceive the things of the Spirit because of the Spirit of God. Christ is the one who is ruling and reigning in this kingdom, and he rules and reigns right now. And so a man, unless he is born again, he can't understand these things. So the reason we need sovereign grace is because sovereign grace is found in the Spirit of God coming and quickening the sinner who never could quicken himself, who can't apply any means to themselves. There is no repentance. There is no faith. And that's going to be something that we talk about on another day. But there is no repentance and faith. There is no turning to God. There is no understanding uh, uh, the Bible, understanding spiritual things. There is no receiving the gospel, believing the gospel, having faith on Christ and what he has done as our substitute without the Spirit of God coming and quickening us and giving us new life, a new birth. Jesus here is contrasting two births. One birth, which was natural, a second birth, which is spiritual. Okay? Look what he says. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is looking at the natural. Okay? He's talking about the natural birth, but that wasn't what Jesus was talking about. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
<coughs> now, brother, don't let that phrase there trip you up, being born of water and of the Spirit. This is basically talking about being born of God, being born uh, from from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God throughout Scripture is equated with water. Uh, matter of fact, Jesus and his blood is equated with water. Okay? So, don't let this trip you up that there's some formula here that you have to be baptized uh, and then have the spirit baptism. Okay? It's not talking about the spirit baptism. There's only one one spirit baptism and it happened one time. Okay? People often say that people are born again and that's the Holy Spirit baptism. That's not what the Bible says is the Holy Spirit baptism. There's only one baptism of the Holy Spirit and that was one time. Okay? Uh, being born of God is not, uh, a ongoing thing or being, uh, baptized in the Spirit is not an ongoing thing. So don't let that trip you up. Being born of water and of the Spirit, uh, is saying the same thing. Unless a man is born of the Spirit, unless a man is quickened of the Spirit, unless he is made clean by the Spirit, then he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the first birth. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's the second birth. Okay, The first birth is of the earth, earthy. The second birth is of the Spirit from heaven. Okay, And so there is a difference in what Jesus is saying here. It's not just being born. It's not just gaining knowledge. It's not being uh, appropriating the means. This is a divine act of the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God acts upon that person, and he doesn't ask you, he doesn't, you know, offer it and wait for you to receive it, the Spirit of God does it whenever he chooses to do it. Directed by Christ, that, that is. But... Look at what it says there, verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And he gives an illustration. He gives an earthly illustration of this spiritual reality. He says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, where it desireth to go. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So basically it's saying the wind does, it blows where it wants to go. You don't tell it where where to go. It doesn't listen to you. It doesn't come whenever you call it. It goes wherever it goes. And the only way that we know where it's going and what the effects are is that we see, look out the window right now. You see the wind is blowing the trees out there. The leaves are blowing. The wind is blowing through the trees. It's coming right through here now. Now it may turn around and blow that direction. Now we see the trees over there blowing, but this one over here is not. The wind blows where it wants to go. And you don't know where it's going. You don't know how it got there. You just know it's there. Ba-bum, there it is. <clears throat> it says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit being the wind. The Spirit goes wherever it wants to go. It's sovereign. Why? God is sovereign. The Spirit is of God, from God. It's sovereign. He is a sovereign God, and He can send His Spirit to whom and upon whom at any time as He desires. And we don't know when, we don't know how and where, we just see the effects of it. Whenever one is born of the Spirit of God, he becomes spiritually enlightened and enabled to understand spiritual things. Therefore, he is able to repent and believe. He repents from going his way as Nicodemus and all the Pharisees was establishing their own righteousness by trying to keep the law. We try to establish our own righteousness by keeping the law, by doing good things, religious things, by, you know, being good people. We repent of that, meaning we turn from that and we turn to God. That's one of the things that we see happening now with this Asbury Revival thing. Everybody keeps talking about how they're up there repenting of all these sins that they're doing, repenting of these sins, but yet everybody returns, a dog returns to its vomit. Okay, A pig returns to the pigsty and gets all money again. 
We continue to go back to sin. Nobody ever repents of sin in the fact that they make an about face, turn and go the other way and never turn back to it. We all return back to our sin. You say, well, I've never turned back from doing this. No, but if you've sinned, you've sinned. <laughs> you return to sin. Not individual sins, you've returned to sin. It's a, you, you're, you're a sinner because you sin. Not because you did this sin and this sin and this sin and this sin. Now you've done all the sins. Now you're a sinner. You're a sinner and you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. You cannot repent from what you already are. Now can we ask forgiveness for sin? Absolutely. Can we try to turn away and, and uh, cease from doing things? Yes. <coughs> if someone's a drunkard... He should repent and try to turn from that. The Bible instructs us not to be drunkards. And he ought to turn and try and you know try to do that as God gives him grace and ability to do that. But to repent of sin means to repent from every sin and never to turn back to sin. And causing one sin, you've broken all the law. So if you've sinned, you quit doing all these sins, but you've kept doing this sin, or you continue to do this sin you still are a lawbreaker. You still are a sinner. You still are in sin. And so the repentance that we speak of whenever we call people to repentance, whenever we preach repentance, whenever one is born again and they hear the cry of repentance, the cry of repentance is a change of mind in righteousness. I am turning away from seeking righteousness through my trying to clean myself up, trying to quit sinning, trying to quit doing all these things, and I'm trusting solely that Christ was my substitute. He did all the obeying for me. That all my sins are forgiven. He's not looking at any more sins. I'm as holy as I'm ever going to be in this life. I'm as holy as I can be. I have all the righteousness of God. I am complete in Him. They keep crying at these things. Fill us up, fill us up, fill us up. We want more, we want more. The Bible says that we're complete in Him. What more are you going to get than the Holy Spirit of God being in you? See, that's where we see these things and why it's important for us to know the Scriptures, to know the false doctrine. That's why the Bible says to test every spirit. Because there are false prophets out there, false teachers, there are false things going on out there that the Bible says they masquerade as as messengers of light. They masquerade as preachers of righteousness. This whole thing with Asbury is just something that looks on the outside like it's a great and mighty work of God. And I'm not going to say that there might not be something in there that God's doing. Obviously God's doing something. It's it. He predestined everything. But is this a true revival? Is this a gospel revival? Well, if there ain't no gospel, there ain't no gospel revival. And there is no preaching of the gospel there that I've seen so far. They're still preaching this whole thing of conditional salvation, of conditional repentance, of cleaning yourself up, establishing a righteousness by quit sinning and all these types of things. And that, in and of itself, shows that they're not preaching Christ alone for salvation, but that Jesus has provided a way of salvation and you have to accept it, okay? You have to start turning and turning away from all these things to show that you've been saved, okay? So there is no gospel that is being preached there. Not to mention they're not following the biblical pattern by having women leading the worship there. The Bible is clear that that women are not to observe and teach men in a biblical capacity uh, in worship service, okay, in in the gathered assembly, and they're they're not following that as well, and it's an emotional thing, and so whenever one is born of the Spirit of God, the repentance isn't to seek after that. The repentance is to change your mind about righteousness and how righteousness. Is received. We receive righteousness by imputation, not impartation, not by work on our part, by trying to be righteous. It is to accept that we are not righteous. Christ is our righteousness, and that His righteousness 
is laid to our account. Therefore, God is satisfied with what Jesus did and is never satisfied with what I do. Therefore, I have faith that what he said he has given me is mine because he said it, not because I'm doing something to make it look like I've, I've got it. Okay? Assurance, the assurance of faith, uh, the full assurance of hope is never, ever, ever based upon anything that we are producing in ourselves, that we are doing in and of ourselves. We can never look at the things that we do and say, God's doing a work in that. The only thing that we do is we look unto Jesus as our only hope and say, He's my substitute. He's my salvation. Okay, if I am, a, if I, if I am His, if I am to be saved, if I am His child, if I am to be, uh, forgiven of all my sins, if I am to be given, uh, uh, eternity with Him, it's because of what Jesus has done and nothing about what I have ever done. And so that's true biblical repentance. That's true, uh, biblical gospel. Okay? And so if that's not what's being found, then there has been no being born again. Okay? There is no being converted. Someone who is born again and thus converted of the gospel turns from those things and turns and looks to God. So we need to be careful of our doctrine and watch our doctrine. Jesus here says that except a man be born again, not get born again. You don't get born again by going and singing music and swaying back and forth and, and you know, being in a prayer service for 120 hours. Okay? That, that's not how you get born again. You don't get born, born again by inviting people to come to listen to preaching. The Spirit blows where it listens. The Spirit is in control of who gets born again, and we don't choose that. God chooses that. That is something that God chooses. Now, with that being said, there's many who, uh, who believe that it does come by human effort. But look with me, if you would, while you're there in John, at John chapter 1. <clears throat> Being born again is not a condition. It is not an act of man. It is not a reception of man to receive it. It is something that's sovereignly bestowed on someone who doesn't have it, who can't get it, who never would reach out for it, who would never seek to have it. In John chapter 1, look with me if you would at verse 13. Well, actually, let's, let's back up to verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, oh, there you go, preacher, you have to receive Jesus into your heart. It says it right there, as many as received him. Look what it says, though, carefully. Read it with me. But as many as received him, to them who received him, Gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, he give power to become the sons of God. Which were born, not of blood. You're my children, and just because I'm a believer and a Christian doesn't mean you are. You don't become a Christian because you're my kid. Okay? Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. No one else can make you a Christian. Me and your mama can't wish you or will you into heaven. We can, listen, we can be as strict as strict can be and try to make you conform to as many gospel as many commandments, as many things of the Bible as we can. We can restrict you from everything out in that world that we can restrict you. And, and we have tried to at least shelter you from a lot of what the world has out there. But there is no amount of sheltering, 
There is no amount of instructing. There is no amount of teaching. There is no amount of praying on our be on our behalf for you that can cause you to be born again. It is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of God. It's not even your will that can make you born again. So it doesn't come from heritage or lineage. It doesn't come from someone imposing that upon you, instructing you, causing you to be born again. Because we've given you all the information. We've raised you in the right way. We've kept you in church all your entire life. And it doesn't come from your own desire to be born again. But where does it come? How is one born again? Well, we just read in in John chapter 3 that a person is born again whenever the Spirit blows where it listeth. Whenever the Spirit comes and does what it does. But it says right here, which were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. You have to be born of God. Unless a man is born of God, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man is born of the Spirit of God, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man is born by the sovereign choice of life-giving Jesus Christ, giving you life, you cannot be born again. It comes by a sovereign choice. That's why we need sovereign grace. Unless God chooses to give you spiritual life, you will never have it. You cannot find it. You cannot work for it. You cannot ask for it. You cannot be born into it. You cannot do anything to be born again. It has to be sovereignly given to you. Look with me at Romans chapter 9. Look at verse uh, 15. It says, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He didn't say, I will have mercy on those who ask for it. I will have mercy on those who beg for it. Who stand sitting and singing and praying and begging. I will not have mercy on someone because they have done anything to try to earn it, to merit it. He said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now what is that saying? Now we got to break this down and look and see if the Spirit give us understanding and we have spiritual ears to hear this. What is Paul saying? What's happening here? The Christ has come. His preaching of the gospel has caused a division. The Jews who thought this was what Messiah was going to do, this is what Messiah was going to be, was not what they thought it was going to be. Jesus come preaching something that they thought, we've never heard this. But he preaches as one who has authority. Well, he is authority because he is the word of God. But he comes preaching these things and it causes a division. There were some that believed and there were some that didn't believe. And if you remember last week, we seen who were the ones who believed? Those who were of God. Who were the ones who didn't believe? Those who were of Satan. The children of Satan, they don't believe. The children of God, they do believe. Again, sovereign grace is needed. Why? Because it is only by God's sovereign choice that you are either a sheep or you are a goat. That you are a wheat or you are a tear. That you are a child of grace or you a child of reprobation. Either you're a child of, of, uh, of, of God or you're a child of Satan. It's only by sovereign grace. So, We need sovereign grace to be a child of grace. And being a child of grace, then we are given the grace to hear. And that grace to hear comes because we've been given the grace to be alive spiritually. 
And so God is saying here, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now think about that for a minute. What does that imply? If God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, and this is being preached and taught in the context of the fact that there were some Jews who were believing, some Jews who were not believing, Therefore, the Jews who were not believing are questioning the promise of God that said that he was going to save his people and that he was going to be their Messiah, their Christ, the anointed one was being sent to Israel. Why then is this being preached in the midst of that conversation? Because what they said was, Jesus is coming for Israel. And we're Israel. We're of our father Abraham. And so that's why Paul had to say in the verses that preceded this. It is not as though the word of God has taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac the child of promise shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Israel is not God's children in the flesh. Israel is a children of God in the Spirit. The only Israel that is a is God's children, spiritually speaking, are those who are the spiritual seed of Christ. Not the physical seed of Abraham, but the spiritual seed of Christ. And that's what Christ was saying to the people that we seen last week, to those religious leaders. You guys keep thinking because you are fleshly Jews, because you are of the lineage of Abraham, because you are in the Hebrew line, that you are going to be saved, that you are all right because you are of them. That's not the case. Very fact in point, these are believing, you're not believing. If you were of Abraham, you would believe me. Why? Because Abraham had been given faith. Abraham was a spiritual child of God. Abraham had been given sovereign grace to believe what those guys can't believe. See, that's why there was this preaching by Paul and bringing up mercy and compassion. So what is that implying? That is implying if God can give mercy on whom he will have mercy and compassion on whom he will have compassion, then that means there are some that are receiving mercy and compassion and some are not. Thus, that's why there are some that are believing and some that are not believing. God has shown mercy and compassion on his children and he has not on Satan's children. Those who were elect from the foundation of the world, who were given to Christ and united with Him with a living union, those are the ones that Christ has mercy and compassion upon. The ones who were chosen before the foundation of the world, whose names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world, those are not shown mercy and compassion that is the very point that Paul is making here. God has not lied to us. God has not lied to you. God is keeping his promise. You have misunderstood his promise. You thought the promise was a physical, natural thing, but it is a spiritual thing. It is a heavenly thing. It is not something that is of this world. It is something that is of that world. The children of that world are the ones who have been given the promises. The children of this world are not given the promises. And there is no unrighteousness in God for doing that. Now look at verse 16. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. So then, in light of that, in light of the truth that God gives mercy to some and not others, he says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, 
this being born of God, this being given mercy and compassion, doesn't come by you willing or choosing or deciding or changing your mind to accept and to reject or to reject. It doesn't come because you have done a lot of good things. You have kept biblical principles. You have studied God's Word, gone to church, been raised in the faith. It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. It's not in your desire, and it's not in your efforts. The willing speaks of your desires. You are not shown compassion and mercy because of your desire for it. And you're not shown mercy and compassion because of your earning it, because of your actions. Why? How is it but of God that showeth mercy? Mercy and compassion is given whenever God shows mercy and compassion upon whom He wants to show mercy and compassion. Now listen, brethren, if this isn't part of the gospel that's being preached at Asbury or any place else that's claiming revival, then that's not the full gospel. That's not the truth. If it's left to man's decisions, choices, conditions, repent and believe, then that is not the gospel. Therefore, we know the Bible says that if it is not the gospel, there is no other gospel. And anybody who is preaching that other gospel, let them be an anathema. They are not a servant of Christ. If Asbury and the people there are not preaching this sovereign grace gospel, then the Bible says they're not a servant of Christ, even though everybody in the world thinks they are. And there's 10 million people lined up outside their door. And they're acting very nice. They're singing great songs. They're all in this worship trance there. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what everybody says. And it doesn't matter how many people want to point the finger of people that are saying what I'm saying here today. And they're saying, oh, you're just hateful. Oh, you're just mean. You're just negative. You're just pessimistic. Oh, you, you know, you're just always rejecting what God's doing, blah, blah, blah. Oh, if we're not of your single little bit of group. The Bible says narrow is the way, not broad. The, the Bible says that there will be many who goes that way of religion, but only few that find the way by the gospel. The Bible says that there are few that hold to these things. Not many. The Bible says that in the last days that things are going to wax worse and worse. Not the gospel is going to spread and permeate all of society and all of society is going to be brought up by the gospel. The Bible says just the opposite. That the preaching of the gospel is going to bring division and that in that division that men are going to become haters more and more and more and the people that are preaching these messages are going to be persecuted. They're going to be suffering for Christ. Jesus Christ promised that. But he said not to lose heart because in the end we will be victorious. Not that we're going to overcome all this stuff that's being talked about us, but we're going to be victorious in the fact that none of this can destroy what God is doing and has done in Jesus. And the fact that in the last day, the last day, not days, we're in the last days, we've been in the last days since Jesus, but in the last day, when Jesus comes, the Bible says that he will say, he'll put us on his right hand. <clears throat> he'll say, enter in to the kingdom prepared for you. Prepared for you. And then to the ones on his left, he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And they'll say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Did y'all see the video of the Asbury deal where supposedly this demon was cast out of somebody or came out of somebody in the middle of the service there? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. For I never knew you. Listen, if the gospel truth is not there, 
It's not a servant of Christ. And he says here, No man cometh to Christ by his own willing, his own choosing, his own desire. He only comes whenever compassion and mercy is put upon a person. That's sovereign grace. Cheap grace is something that somebody gives you because you beg long enough. You say, well, I'm here. You ever had that? You've had somebody asking you? Let me have one of those. Let me have one of your, let me have one of your tots. Let me have one of your tots. To the point where all of a sudden you just, fine, just quit asking. Is that grace? Did, did, that, did that person show you grace? No, they didn't show you grace. Grace is something that's given to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Mercy is something that's given to somebody who can't get it. Mercy is something that some somebody can't get. I need it. <laughs> and I can't get it. Grace is something that's given to somebody that doesn't deserve it. That hasn't earned it. Hasn't worked for it. If I work for something, then I am owed it. If I do something as a condition before you can give it to me, then that is a wage that is given. And it is not by wages that we are saved. It is by grace that we are saved. Free gift that we are saved. So we can't be born again by our willing, our running. We can't be born again by our bloodline. Now some will say, well, you can be born again by the preaching of the gospel. We just got to get them under the preaching of the gospel. If we get them under the preaching of the gospel, then they'll be born again. Brethren, listen, I've, I've grown up in church, and there have been people put under preaching of Jesus died, he was buried, and he was resurrected their whole entire life, but never come to believe the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I, for most of my life, was under a gospel that was being preached void of God's sovereign grace. God's sovereignty in choosing and reprobating. God's particular redemption in Christ Jesus dying for only his people. That the effectual nature of the atonement being that everyone for whom Jesus died is saved, not on conditions, but saved because he did that, and that in time they are given conversion or understanding of their salvation. They are given repentance and faith sovereignly, not because they did any learning or growing or preaching or anything like that. Sovereignly being given that. Listen, I didn't grow up underneath that. I didn't preach that for many years. Is that what gets people born again though? Well some people will point to certain passages of scripture. But I want us to and and they'll say, you know, you have to have the word of God. Otherwise what is faith going to reach out to? If you don't hear the preaching of the gospel, well what's faith going to reach out to? You have to have knowledge of something. To have faith. Brethren, listen, whenever faith is given to us, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. And faith is given to us to trust in Christ alone. And that is a sovereign work of God by the Spirit of God. Now listen, turn with me if you would to Hebrews chapter 4. I wrote, put out an article uh, just the other day, and we're going to get to it here in just a minute, 1 Peter 1. But I think we need to look, and in my in my uh, article, I didn't deal with this particular verse. I just was dealing with the verses in 1 Peter. But <clears throat> we get a very clear definition of the Word of God that quickens, the Word of God that gives life, the Word of God that that is part of this being born again, and we got to let the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, the Scriptures, 
that is the revelation of who God is and how God does things, let that be our guide, not by what theologians and creeds and confessions and your favorite pastor says. What does God's Word teach us about how one is born again by the Word of God? Okay? So let's first look at Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading in verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, now let me just stop right there. And I'm going to admit, for a long time I preached that that's talking about this right here. The Scriptures. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing center. But we got to remember, these are the words of God that has been written for us, right? Okay? But it comes from God. It is God who is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of Mara and as a discerner of the thoughts and the tents of the heart. Okay? It's talking about here not the scriptures, not the preached gospel, but it's talking about Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. It's talking about Jesus here. It's not talking about the preacher with a message. You say, well, I always heard that this was talking about the Scriptures. I've heard my preacher say that. I've heard John Gill say that. I've heard this person say that, this person say that. It doesn't matter what they say, right? It doesn't matter what I said. Or what I say now. What does God's word say? Let's read further. Verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest. Now pay close attention here. In. What's the next word? Everyone's got your Bible open. What's the next word? In. His. 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 His sight. Wait a minute. The pronoun there is his. Now, if we were talking about the Bible, if we were talking about the Scriptures, if we were talking about a gospel message, the pronoun there would be it, not his. If this is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning, and all the things that was talking about right there. If it was talking about this, it would say, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in its sight. But it says his sight. Not to mention this don't have sight. Not to mention this isn't a discerner. A discerner is someone who can discern. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of, what's the pronoun? Him. With whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now who in the world is the context of this passage? Jesus. Who in this passage who is the context of this passage, happens to have a name of Word of God. It's Jesus. Then who then is the one who is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow and of the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart? Jesus. He's the one who is quick. 
Now, turn with me if you would. Now that we have that established, that the Word of God, that is quick and powerful and sharper, discerner thoughts and intents of the heart, turn to 1 Peter. Now that we know the biblical definition, Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading at verse 23. (coughs) It says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Now let's just stop there. We are here presented with two seeds. Now remember last week we talked about two seeds. The seed of Christ. The seed of Satan. Who effectively is those who are of Adam without the Spirit. Without Christ. Those who are Not the children of God, but the children of the flesh. They are the seed of Satan and the seed of Christ. There is a corruptible seed and an incorruptible seed. The corruptible seed being Adam. We come from Adam. We are born of Adam in the flesh. That which is flesh is flesh. Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So there is an incorruptible seed and a being born of an incorruptible seed. Remember, Jesus was talking about two different births, right? There's a natural birth that Nicodemus was focused upon, and then there was a spiritual birth that Jesus was talking about and trying to get across that unless you have that spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God. cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. Now here we see that being born again, there's a being born again of corruptible seed and an incorruptible seed. Being born again of corruptible seed is being born of Adam. But of incorruptible seed, it says, by the word of God, which liveth in the body forever. Again, I used to preach that that's talking about this right here, being born of the word of God. Whenever someone preaches the word of God and the gospel and they hear it, they believe it, they're born again from the word of God being preached. That they have to have the word of God being preached or they cannot be born again. I believe that. I used to preach that. Now I reject that now. I don't believe that's what the scripture teaches. And I hope that's what's coming across here uh, in, my, in the teaching here. It says, but by the word of God which liveth and abideth, Forever. Now, if we are equating the Word of God there to be the Bible, and that's the incorruptible seed, then what would be the corruptible seed? How were we born of the corruptible seed? What's the, what's the contrast? You have corruptible and incorruptible, and to incorruptible, you're attaching the Word of God, the Bible, well then what would be the in, or the corruptible? Well, we're not born by anything else. I mean, it's talking about being born of Adam or being born of the second Adam. We're either one's child or we're the other's child. The ones who are born of the incorruptible seed are the ones who are being born of the corruptible seed. Okay? So the corruptible seed, or incorruptible seed, comes by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And they say, well, there you go. The word of God liveth and abideth forever. We're talking about the scriptures. Not one job two will pass. Brethren, is it not true that the word of God, Christ Jesus, liveth and abideth forever. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no changing. He is forever, everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. 
But where we see that it is actually really talking about Jesus, being born again by Jesus, not being born again by the preaching of Jesus, about Jesus, not being born again by scriptures, being born again by the person of Jesus Christ. We find down to verse 25. Look at verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. That kind of says the same thing as what verse 23 says, right? The word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, right? But look at the next phrase. It says, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. What is preached in the gospel? Christ is preached in the gospel. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the gospel. Whenever we preach the gospel, we are preaching Christ, not a plan of salvation. We are preaching Christ and His finished work, what He has done. The Word of God, being Christ, is who we preach in the gospel. And so it says here, The Word of the Lord endureth forever. Christ endureth forever. And this is the Word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We don't preach unto you the Scriptures. We're preaching a person. We use the Scriptures as the information that God has given us to declare about the person. But all of this is the record of the person. It's the record of Christ. The Bible says in the volume of the book, it is written of me. This is written about Jesus. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, not about Jesus Christ, we preach the gospel of what Jesus has done. The Bible says that it is uh, that uh, uh, that is that the word of God, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Well, who is the gospel? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Why? Because there is no salvation given unto any other man under any other name except by Jesus Christ. Salvation doesn't come by any other way but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not by a plan, not by a project, not by a book, not by preaching, not by singing, not by praying, not by memorizing scripture. It comes by the sovereign grace work of Jesus of giving life because the Bible says that he, Jesus, has been given power over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as God has given him. He's the one that's been given the power. The good news is that there is power with God to give eternal life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins, who are without life. He can give it. He can have mercy on whom he has. Listen, God doesn't have to give anybody mercy and compassion, and he would still be righteous, he would still be holy, he would still be just, if not one person was ever given that. But by grace, God desired and loved a people and gave them to Christ and gave them mercy and compassion, even though they are just like everyone else who are born of the first Adam. So why do we need sovereign grace? It's because we cannot do anything to be born again. And no one else can cause us to be born again. The new birth requires the sovereign grace of God upon us. Alright, does anybody have any questions? Alright, if the Lord wills, we'll continue trucking, looking at other things in Scripture on why we need Sovereign grace. I know I, I mentioned earlier that.
We're going to deal with repentance and faith. Saying, well, if it's just God, if you're just robots and God makes you be saved even though you don't want to, then that means that repentance and faith is, you know, doesn't mean anything. It's not from the heart. Is that true? It's not true. What they say about that is comes from human wisdom and understanding. It doesn't come from spiritual understanding. Uh, if they had spiritual understanding, they wouldn't be saying that. They would know that it does come from the heart. The difference is, is by sovereign grace, we've been given a new heart that can do that. So, anyway, all right, let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for all that you've done in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the message of the gospel that has been given to declare to all your people, Lord, for the sounding forth of liberty, of freedom in Christ Jesus, the sounding forth of sins forgiven, for the law being kept on our behalf, for wrath being taken and put away, through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that in rising in newness of life that we have been quickened together with Christ Jesus, that we are seated with Him in the heavenlies. Lord, that we are complete in Him, full as we can get, the Spirit in us, working to will and to do Your good pleasure, and that we lack nothing. But Lord, we pray that You might Give us that measure of faith to believe what is true in reality. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to give us that measure of hope that what is being said is ours. And so, Father, I pray today that through the preaching of the gospel today, those who are here and those who are listening, Lord, that you might edify them, that you might build them up, that you might grow them in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it might be of encouragement. Father, I pray that you would draw all your people to yourself, Lord. I ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.